Well, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We are beginning a new series, a new series today. And I believe that um, Brother Kevin is going to put the artwork on the screen. I just, I love this new artwork. Can y'all see that? Look at that. I just think that's so beautiful. Pastor Stewart did that, or had someone do that. And uh, I, I think that really does capture the, the spirit of this new series. It's called The Pursuit of Happiness. It's how to be happy. You know, the world is becoming increasingly more and more, you know, ugh, gloomy, despairing. But we are the blessed people of God. Amen. As Pastor Kirk was saying earlier, we have the favor of the Lord. And I do believe, based on the text of Scripture, that God wants us to be happy. He does. This sermon series is about how to be happy. And I don't mean just for you as an individual, although I really do want each and every one of you individually to be happy. I also mean, I want this to be a happy place. Amen? Shouldn't the church be happy? Shouldn't the city on a hill shine a light of good works and have an attractive warmth? Shouldn't people want to move there? You know, if if we have the gospel of Jesus in our hearts, should our, our lives not be characterized? Shouldn't they be characterized by joy, leaping for joy, rejoicing. And, and Jesus shows us the way. He, so, he shows us the way. And it's not something that you, you get overnight. It's something that you learn as you cultivate. And there's ups and downs to it. And I'm not talking about a, a Pollyannish, um, delusional state of being. There are plenty of people that are positive and happy because they are out of touch with reality. Right. (laughs) And there's a lot of people that think they are, you know, just being real and they are dour and sour and unpleasant to be around. Now, the the church, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can in the midst of the storm be happy, can in the midst of reality remain positive. You know, uh, to put it another way, the last series was on objective prosperity that God has promised us. I mean, if we have all of this objective prosperity and we do, what good is it if we're miserable on the inside, right? So you can really think of this sermon series as about uh, the prosperity series 2.0, but we're going into the heart on this one, going into the heart. Because not only do we want to be prosperous in the Lord objectively out here in the world, but we want to be happy and prosperous subjectively in our heart. We want to feel happy. We want to experience the joy of the Lord. Amen? All right, there's other ways I could say it, but we're going to press on. Let's go to our text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. This is Jesus showing us individually how to be happy, but he's talking to his community in particular. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed, that is happy which we'll talk about that in a second. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! Say that with me. Rejoice and be glad. He's talking about a subjective happiness. Be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Well, this is a summary. I do believe it's a summary of the things that Jesus preached. And, and especially, it's a, it's a summation of his Sermon on the Mount you've, you've heard. We don't have every single word that Jesus ever uttered. What we do have are the particular words that the Holy Spirit wanted us to have. And this here is a, a sort of a bullet list, an outline of... Who's blessed and and how to be blessed, how to begin being blessed and how to continue being blessed. And you can see his description. Do you want to be blessed? Then be pure in heart, be a peacemaker, be poor in spirit, mourn, be meek, etc., etc. And so um, to begin, I want to show you, look again one more time at verse 12. Because the question that immediately rises is what does it mean to be blessed? And while we know it definitely means that as a Christian, we have the status of blessed. And we are objectively blessed. Amen. Heaven is our, our future and heaven on earth is our future and glorified immortal bodies in the presence of the Lord forever and ever where there will be no more tears or sorrow. Amen. We are objectively rich. We are objectively blessed regardless of what happens in this life. And we have the status of favored. Amen. But here I do believe there's more. You see, this Greek word that is translated blessed, there is not an English word for it. So it does make it a little bit difficult. There is a bit of a range of meaning. And so translators, have, you know, they've wrestled with what word captures this the best. And you can look at different translations and you can see that sometimes it's translated happy. And I, I really do believe that is probably the best English word that captures the essence of the word as best as possible. And uh, you can see it right there in verse 12. Jesus is talking about rejoicing, rejoicing. See, that's something that flows from the heart, right? That's something that flows up out of the heart. He wants our community to be a community characterized by joy, rejoice, right? Rejoicing. He wants our community to be characterized by gladness and merriment, as opposed to crotchetiness and negativity. Amen? I mean, and who doesn't want to be happy? I sure do. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 22. This is the parallel passage. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as given to us by the, the, um, the prophet Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you. You know, that's, gonna be, that's hard to understand. There's quite a paradox there, Right? But we're going to get to this. We're going to get to it. But blessed, happy are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. Right? We've all been there before. And revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. See, that comes from the heart. He even says, let it bubble up, let it overflow out of your heart so as to um, be manifested in a body, um, an explosion. Leap for joy. Leap for joy. Jump in the air for joy. 
Don't do that necessarily in here. Our pews are very sharp and very hard. Um, but hey, you know, you might not be able to help it. You might have so much warmth and so much um, affection and so much love and so much joy from what the Lord has done for you that it bubbles out, that it overflows, and you jump in the air and you shout. I mean, you're commanded to. When was the last time you leaped for joy? For anything. You know, murmurers don't leap. The discontent don't leap, right? The proud don't leap. But the saints should leap. We should leap. I didn't say limp for joy. I said leap. You know, if you, if you don't have it in you, it, is a, it really is a grace. It is a gift from the Lord. This is not something you can conjure. You can cultivate it. You can go to the Lord. You can beg for it. It really is a gift. All things are truly a gift. And so I don't want you to feel that if you don't have a leap that you're like, you know, helpless. God can help you with that. But I want you to have an appetite for it. I want you to want it at least. You see what I mean? You say, I, I don't have a leap. I have more of a limp. You know, but, but I want to. I want to have joy. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. You, the saints should have lives that are enviable, which is another way of saying attractive. Right? I mean, can, can you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and try to convince everyone to come here and be a Christian? If you're sour, right? If you're touchy, if you're gloomy, no. If you're, who, who's the donkey on, uh, on Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore? Eeyore? Yeah, the, you, should, you wouldn't believe the good news that is the gospel and how great it is to be a Christian. Well, I, I couldn't tell from looking at your face and looking at the way you act. No, we, we should be a community that is happy, attractive, enviable, not phony, not put on, but truly produced by the Spirit of God bubbling up from our hearts in the good times and in the bad. Amen. You think that's possible? It's possible. It's possible. The Westminster Confession says, and I like the way they put it, everyone does, the chief end of man, the purpose of man is to, and you might know it, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To enjoy something comes from in here. It comes from heaven, but then it passes out into the world through your heart, through you. Enjoy. Not only glorify God, but enjoy God. Wow. You know, they, they, they say all the time, and people say it all the time, and there's definitely a, a, a truth in it, depending on how you, how you interpret these words. But they say, you know what? God didn't give you a wife and, or give you a husband and, and put you in a marriage so you could be happy. He did it so you could be holy. No, no, no. Why are we putting happiness and holiness at odds with each other? God, my heavenly Father... Who says that if you would ask, you would receive? If you ask an evil father for a, for a, for a loaf of bread, would he give you a serpent? How, mu how much more would I give you if you should ask? And, and, and they're supposed to say you didn't get put in a marriage so you could be happy? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. God gave me a wife and children so that I could be happy. Because he wants me to be happy. He wants me to be happy. He literally commands me to leap for joy even in the worst situations. Imagine what he'd say to us in good situations. He wants you to be happy and holy. There's no dichotomy. 
There's no dichotomy. You see that, that he doesn't want you to be happy, he wants you to be holy, swallows a premise. It's a false premise that there is some sort of uh, you know, dichotomy there, that to be happy you have to be unholy. Or if you are holy, you're going to levitate off the ground three inches and never smile and wear all black and be unhappy. No, it's, it swallows a false asceticism, a various false philosophies. No, God wants us to be holy, yes. And He wants us to be happy. It really does. Paul said that he had learned the secret of being content. Part of, that, part of contentment is happiness, right? Enjoyment of life. Peter said to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. You see, there's a subjective experience of Jesus that produces a hope within you, a, a joy within you, a delight within you, a happiness. Makes you a happy person. Paul said if Christ were not raised, then we of all the people in the world would be the most miserable. But he was raised. And so why are so many Christians still the most miserable? We should be the most happy. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, how do we start? It's right there in verse 3. And we've we got several sermons to, to work our way through this. And I think we'll pick up some steam right around the third or fourth sermon. We'll, start, we'll hit our stride there. But today we're beginning with verse 3. And it is the, the narrow gate to happiness. Okay, the narrow gate. You can't go around it. You can't climb over it, can't go under it. There's no shortcuts. Only the people that pass through this gate can be happy at all. Okay? No going around it, no shortcuts, only through this gate. Now, when you go through this gate, it doesn't make you, you know, happy, happy, happy all the time. It's a life, it's a journey, it's a path. Where you learn it and you grow in it and you cultivate happiness. It's a, it's a daily walk, if you will. But there is a place at which it starts. And it's right there in verse 3. It's poor in spirit. No one is truly happy who isn't poor in spirit. Not today, not ever. But what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Um, to be poor, this word he uses right here, is not just to be a little uh, cash-strapped. It's not, you know, coming up short at the end of the month. This word that he uses is like concentration camp poor. Absolute total destitution and neediness and helplessness. It's, it's bricks without straw poverty. Absolute, crushing, tyrannical poverty. It's the word that he's using here. It's interesting to, for him to, to, to say the key to happiness, the key to life begins with crushing absolute destitution. It, it seems like a paradox, doesn't it? It is quite a bit of a paradox. Now, he doesn't mean, and we know this from the next word, spirit, he doesn't mean that poverty out here. It's not what he means. You can be very, very rich and be poor in spirit. And you can be very, very poor and not poor in spirit. Right? It's not poor. The word is not poor. The word is poor in spirit. And spirit gives us the idea of a perspective. Okay? A recognition. A realization. A perspective. You could put it this way, that everyone is objectively poor and needy and desperate 
and without any hope in this world apart from Christ. Amen? But the poor in spirit realize it. Okay? The poor in spirit realize it. Um, David, King David, and I bring him up because he was much more wealthy than we are. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 17, although he didn't have the luxuries and the comforts that we do, um, he would have dreamt of sleeping on a bed as nice as our beds. But just saying, David was very rich. And look what he says in, in Psalm 40, verse 17. He says, but I am poor and needy. He's talking about deep down. If you boil us down to our essence, if you take away the facades, if you strip away our possessions and our goods and all the makeup and all the, the, uh, the prosperity and, and you pull everything down to our essence, we are poor and needy, helpless, desperate, dependent. I think Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he, it, it, it captures this quite well. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a, a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Boil us all down to the essence of what and who we are. We are beggars, desperate for crumbs covered in sores, and our only doctors are dogs. Yeah. You see, automatically our world is offended by this. You're, you're saying to me that happiness begins with a realization that I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy, dog-licked beggar? Yes. I'm not saying it. Christ says it. Another illustration is Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him. You see, there's not a single person in the, in the history of this world that has ever been saved by Jesus. That's a common word we use around here. There's never been a single person in the history of this planet that is objectively blessed and has an experience of subjective blessings, that's happy, that has true, deep the joy of the Lord. Not a single person has ever been like that, who, who didn't, as a leper, kneel before the mercy of Jesus. You see, if, if you are to be happy, you must say, in my hands I bring nothing. Right? And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I want to. Be clean. See, that is our condition. And I'm not trying to say that's our spiritual condition. I don't really like making a dichotomy between physical and spiritual. That's not really the Christian way of thinking about things. We are spiritually and physically and emotionally and relationally and socially in every single, in all categories, we are lepers and we are loved by one who can heal leprosy. That is the twofold status and situation of every Christian every day of his life. To the degree that you realize that and live in that, and, and the Holy Spirit massages that down into your heart, that I am a leper before the Lord and before everyone else. I don't deserve anything. I am unworthy. I am unclean. I am helpless and desperate and hungry. But I have a very rich, very wealthy, very 
amazing and powerful father and I am in his favor. When those two messages together, two sides of the same coin are massaged down into your heart, that is how you begin to be happy. And every sin, whether it be pride or anxiety or um, gluttony or lust, all, any sin you want to think about always attacks one of those two sides of the gate of happiness. You see, the Pharisees saw the, the, the poor, dog-licked beggar and, and believed him to be cursed by God. The Greeks, and, and Jesus' world was, it was Greek, uh, essentially, uh, they would have banished those people from their community. They would have said, uh, what town, what organization of society, what church, what tribe can be happy with a bunch of beggars around? You know, begging was essentially to be cursed. It was to be a nobody. No one would have thought that to be a beggar is the, is the, the beginning of happiness. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You want to have a happy town? You want to have a happy church? Everyone must recognize, realize, maintain the perspective that we're all just beggars before the Lord. And he loves us. And he's incredibly wealthy and has so many blessings for us. Amen, Christ Church. That's the key to being happy. That's the beginning of being happy. And every day you wake up in this world... You've got to recognize that. You've got to realize that. And we can't do anything apart from the Lord. What does Jesus say? Without me, you are nothing. That's not very encouraging of our self-esteem, Jesus. But he's not a therapist. He's not a modern pop psychologist. Without me, you can do nothing. It does offend our pride. It hurts our ego. Proud people hate that. But then he says, but with me, all things are possible. See, it's both of those things together when you believe that, and, and when, when, you're, when you find yourself believing that deep down in your heart, you can begin to be happy. Amen. Let's move on. And, uh, and, and we're going to move on to, well, no, not just yet. You see, there are people, and let's just talk about what the world thinks is the key to happiness. There, there are people who believe that the key to happiness is acquiring more possessions. And you channel those people when you addictively shop, right? I will be happy if I can get on Amazon and start ordering things. Or I am happy, no offense, we all do it, all right? I'm not picking on anyone, but we, we literally window shop knowing that we don't have the budget and it makes us feel alive, it makes us feel happy. Many people believe deep down, we all believe deep down that the acquisition of more things is the key to happiness, right? No, but without, with all the riches in the world, you can't buy happiness. You can't, you can't. It's a gift that only Jesus gives, and he only gives it to those who beg him from a state of beggarliness. You know, other people think that the key to happiness is to think real highly of ourselves. That's the self-esteem gospel. It's very prevalent, unfortunately, in America and in the American church. And even to feel highly and to think highly of yourself when it's just totally and utterly delusional. Delusional. God is not a, a doting mother that always lies to you and tells you, you sing great in the car. We love it when you sing. Your voice is so beautiful. Like, no, God is a realist. He loves you anyway, but he's a realist. And the point of life is, is not to puff ourselves up and to increase in self-esteem. It's to increase in Christ-esteem. And that is the only way to be happy. 
You will, you will never find the key to life and the key to happiness trying to puff yourself up with self-esteem. It's not going to work. Only when you recognize your total inadequacy can you be happy in Christ. Other people believe that happiness can be found through the acquisition of wisdom and knowledge and education, but our problem isn't ignorance. Our problem is sin and wretchedness. Other people believe that our nation could be a happy nation once again. God bless America essentially means make America happy, right? They believe that our nation could be happy if somehow we could return to some old tradition. If we could only recover the ways of the founding fathers. If only, if only we would get back to the Constitution, then our country can be blessed and happy. Get the right policies in place, get the right laws in place. If everybody would be moral and virtuous and we get the right man in the office, we could finally have a happy society. No, that's the lie of the Pharisees. That is, that is quite a bit of what the conservative movement teaches in America right now. No movement, no tribe, no nation can be blessed by God until they first recognize their leprous state, their absolute dependency and utter wretchedness before the Lord. And our nation is wretched, but they don't realize it. The bloodshed, the unrequited bloodshed that screams out from the ground to God in our nation. We are filthy and perverse and we are damned if we don't pass through the gate of poverty of spirit and cast ourselves on the mercy of King Jesus and no law, no virtue, no moral code, no bygone era is going to ever change that you know there's others that think our what what our nation needs is to get with the times to align our moralities and our virtues with more european ideals to progress and we as christians we should conserve some things and we should progress in some ways but there is no progression there's no evolution that will ever change our nation and make it a just and equitable and happy society you want to experience the blessings of the kingdom of heaven, that great city on a hill, that ideal city of happiness? You want to pursue that city? It's not about progressing or conserving. It has to begin with the poverty of spirit, naked and, and laid out before the Lord, begging him for, for mercy. That is the only way it will begin. Jesus said of the conservative Pharisee movement, he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You'll never enjoy that city of blessing and happiness. You'll never have that warmth and that enviable, attractive lifestyle by law. There's no salvation in law. Amen, Christ Church? And, and what prog progress or evolution can, can raise a dead man? A dead man doesn't need therapy. A, 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 a leper doesn't need a Band-Aid. What he needs is a supernatural healing that only comes from the right hand of the Father. You know, others believe, and this is a, a different movement in our country, that the, the key is to happiness just to just separate from everything, to escape. Just escape. If we just keep our hands clean from all the dirtiness in the society, you know, don't do politics, that's dirty. You know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. That whole vibe, you know, wear bonnets and, and handmade clothing and just move out into the middle of nowhere where we can keep our family happy. But the problem is when one leper leaves the leper colony, he takes his leprosy with him. He has to be healed 
He has to be supernaturally saved and blessed by King Jesus. And that begins by walking through the gate of poverty of spirit. All attempts at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness will fail for an individual, a church, or a nation unless they begin at ground zero, in the tomb, in total depravity and inability before the merciful feet of Christ. And I sure wish, and I hope you all would pray that our nation would wake up to this. That our nation and its rulers would see that there is no policy we can write, war we can fight, walls we can build or not build, leaders we can elect or imprison that will ever take us one foot further down the path of happiness as a community and as a society unless we first see ourselves as poor, naked, wretched, and blind. That's where we have to begin. And I do believe that perhaps our nation could begin to see that when the churches begin to preach the law of God as they were commissioned to do in Matthew chapter 28. Go, make disciples of America, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. The church has got to do that. If the, if, if, if the law is not preached from the pulpits, then the law cannot do its condemning work on the hearts of fallen men to convince them of their leprous state so that then the gospel can show them that Christ can heal them. The church has got to return to that if our nation is ever going to wake up from its blindness. This is a Laodicean problem. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For, for, for you say, I am rich. See, that's the problem. You say you're rich. Your perspective is off. You don't realize just how poor you truly are in the face of the Lord. And I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing. See, no poverty of spirit. They didn't have the realization. That's what poverty of spirit is. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And like this first century church, the church in America and us to some degree lack this divine self-awareness of who we truly are, right? And unless you wake up every single day of your life, and to the degree you wake up in the morning and realize without Jesus, I see nothing, I am blind, right? I am naked, I am wretched, I am filthy. I am a leper who is loved. To the degree you have that in your mind, you can be happy. Why? Well, for a lot of reasons, but look at verse 3. Let's finish it up here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is really just saying the same thing that I've been saying. For theirs, what's that next word? Is. Pastor, I know that one day we will receive the kingdom of heaven. No, no, no. When you go to Jesus Christ, recognizing your depravity and your helplessness and your neediness, and he heals you, it is as though you are at that very moment walking through the pearly gates, through the walls of salvation, and you join as a citizen, as a child of God, a kingdom, a city, an organized community of happiness and blessing. It's yours, and it's present tense, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, that's a, a, that's a status. You have a citizenship. 
the lepers have, all, have been brought out of their leper colony and right in through the pearly gates into the kingdom of heaven, into that city on a hill, into that attractive and ideal city that, that the progressives and the conservatives and the separatists and the fundamentalists and all of those with their false gospels, they're all looking for all that. They all want it, but they can't get through because they don't have the poverty of spirit. But when you pass through, it's yours. The lepers are now sons. They are heirs. They are more than conquerors. They are victorious. All things are theirs in Christ. Listen to what Paul says. He says, if I can find this, he says, 1 Corinthians 3.21, Therefore, no, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. 1 Corinthians 3.22, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. It's yours. 1 Corinthians 3.23, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You are co-heirs. You are co-laborers. Shouldn't you be happy? To the degree you realize that, you will be happy. You will get your leap back. Or or maybe patch some of the holes in your sinking ship of joy. Joseph was a, a, a member he was in the household of Potiphar, and Eliezer was in the household of Abraham, and Mephibosheth was in the household of David. And we, the, the once lepers, who still struggle with our leprosy, are in the household of God. Amen? Wow. So, what do you need to do tomorrow morning when you wake up? Actually, all day to day for the rest of your life. Recognize the paradox of the Christian life. Without Christ, you can do nothing. You are nothing. But with Christ, all things are possible. You are a leper, but you are loved. You are poor, but you have a very rich father. (laughs) Do you see that? All right, let's all stand. We're going to sing a song of response, and then we uh, we have the special privilege of, of, of baptism this morning.